For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, Raider Nation, and welcome to another edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast, Believe Podcast Network. I'm Dennis Ackerman, pleased to be joined by former Raider great Stanford Route. Stan, hard to believe, Raiders open training camp. Tuesday, July the 27th. Take me back when you were playing. What do you remember most about getting ready to head to camp? Oh, well, usually uh, whenever we were getting ready to start camp, it would usually either fall on my birthday or right after my birthday, which is the 26th. And, you know, obviously uh, it's still the same sentiment right now. And obviously going into that last week, before camp starts you want to go ahead and try to have your last bit of fun you want to try to go take that last second vacation you want to make sure that also you are in shape because obviously now you have the conditioning test and if you don't pass the conditioning test then you will have to you will have to complete that conditioning test from that point on until you're until and once you're able to complete it then you're able to go ahead and practice so you obviously want to make sure that you enter into camp and a requisite amount of shape so you can take care of your business. And then obviously, you know, once you, you once you walk in that very first day, once you report, you know that it is a grind from then on, all the way throughout December, January, February, whenever you uh, lose in the playoffs, things like that. So you wanna make sure that mentally you are ready for that grind because it is going to be eat, sleeping and drinking football. All right, well, Vegas odds makers have this year's MVP out. And who do you think is first? Who do you think is the odds on favorite? To win the MVP award this year. Yep. I would probably go with, uh, I know Vegas is hedging their bet, assuming that Aaron Rodgers is going to be in Green Bay. I pretty, I'm pretty sure he's somewhere on that list. Pat Mahomes, obviously. I think Tom Brady, when you see how Tampa Bay played, after Thanksgiving last year when they got on their run and then obviously in the Super Bowl, I would say Tom Brady's going to be somewhere in that. Josh Allen, maybe Russell Wilson. Can't really see any other position player being on that list. Maybe there's a dark horse, but I would probably have to go with the Josh Allens, the Pat Mahomes of the world, Lamar Jackson, him as well, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson. I'd probably say it's a plethora, or should I just say a cornucopia of those cool. names that I just mentioned. That's a big word there, Stan. <laughs> All right, here's the order. Ready? Patrick Mahomes is first. Second is Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. And then it's a three-way tie for third. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and then this is your dark horse, Stan, Matthew Stafford. Yes. Oh, my God. I'm so glad. I I forgot all about that. I forgot all about him because obviously we all see with the Los Angeles Rams hype 
that everybody seems to believe that because Matthew Stafford is now going to go and team up with Boy Wonder, uh, Sean McVay, now all of a sudden he's about to be able to overcome the playoff woes that he's had throughout his career because apparently he didn't play with Indominus Sue, Calvin Johnson, Darius Slay, Golden Tate, Reggie Bush, my boy Glover Quinn, all pro bowlers. I guess he didn't play with those guys in, uh, in Detroit. Well, it'll be interesting to see what he does out West. Yes. Well, look, at, if you're into sports betting, bet online is where you should go to win money today. With the NBA Finals ending and MLB heading into the second half of the season, there's plenty of betting action to get involved in. If you're a football better, there are tons of futures and props you can wager on as well. Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip-off, face-off, or pitch, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. You know, Stan, you and I were talking just before we started the podcast, and man, Giannis Antetokounmpo from the Milwaukee Bucks, what a performance he had in the yes. NBA Finals. Unbelievable, unreal. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think that myself included, people that have maligned him for his lack of being a consistent jump shooter, and saying how that style of play will come back to bite him in the playoffs and things like that with the Milwaukee Bucks, Budenholzer. Obviously, we know that if Milwaukee loses to the Brooklyn Nets, Budenholzer might not even be returning next year. So I think it just shows the true heart of a champion. Giannis coming up big when he needed to, showing that, you know what, I don't have to be a jump shooter like Steph Curry to go ahead and get over the hump. Obviously, I think him, along with the Chris Middleton, who I personally believe is the true closer on that team because he showed me a whole lot in this championship run. I think the world of Giannis, I think uh, he's now one of just two people alongside Michael Jordan to have multiple MVPs and a finals MVP and a Defensive Player of the Year award. He's one of just him and Michael Jordan as the only two ever to do that. I think he had, what, three straight 40-point games. I think and right. I think Michael Jordan has the record of four, four straight 40-point games in the NBA Finals. So definitely big kudos to him. Yeah, give him a lot of credit after rallying from being down 0-2 in the NBA Finals. And I think it's great for the city of Milwaukee and for the NBA for a small market team to win the NBA Finals. It's been 50 yeah. years since that city uh, won their only title. So congratulations to them. All right, we're recording this on Thursday, and the NFL made an announcement. They just informed the clubs that if a game cannot be rescheduled during this 18-week season due to a COVID outbreak among unvaccinated players, the team with the outbreak will forfeit and be credited with a loss for a playoff seeding. Now, Arizona Cardinals wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins, Stan, he tweeted out that this would actually make him consider retiring. And then he deleted the tweet because if he did retire, he owed the cards about $22 million in unearned signing bonus money. I mean, Stan, do you think this is really going to encourage players to get vaccinated? I'm not sure definitively what you're asking me. Now, I can tell you ultimately, and this is also why, it was a since-deleted tweet by DeAndre Hopkins. This is the one thing that you realize. When you get to the NFL, obviously, you got to be talented. We all know that. You got to be able to run fast, jump high, tackle people, catch the ball, everything. 
And when you get to the NFL, a lot of the old heads, a lot of the older guys, the veterans, some of the coaches, people like that, they all make sure to remind you that, hey, this is a privilege. It's not a right. And as a player, especially when you reach the level of a DeAndre Hopkins, that superstar status, that's when, obviously, you're on top of the world. You're one of the best in the business. You're one of the best in the world. And then even in that space, you're still reminded it's still a privilege and not a right. I'll, exam I'll give you an example, and I'll explain to you what I mean. In today's world, as a U.S. citizen, you are guaranteed the right to vote. You're guaranteed, guaranteed the right to bear arms, the right to freedom of speech, religion, press, assembly, all of that. You are given the right of being innocent till proven guilty. That's afforded to you into the Bill of Rights and the U.S. Constitution. But the thing is, you don't have a right to be in the NFL. It's a privilege. And when you're a part of any corporation, any company, any entity, if my boss tells me, Stanford, Tomorrow, I want you to wear a red tie to work. And I'm like, well, no, I don't want to wear a red tie to work. I want to wear a blue tie or I don't want to wear a tie at all. Then if I want to work for his company, I have to wear a red freaking tie. Whether it's right or wrong, that's immaterial. That's irrelevant. But the point is, if you want to be a part of this corporation, this entity, this 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 league, you got to do what's asked of you. Or, that's fine, you don't have to, but then, go, but then guess what? Tuesday afternoons, when you get that big, exorbitant paycheck, those are no more. So you can't have it both ways. You can't go out here and think that, oh, well, you know, I can just do whatever the hell I want because uh, it's a free country and I should have the right to do whatever I feel. Then you need to go ahead and become an owner. They can do whatever the hell they want to do. But even then, we see Donald Sterling. We see other owners who have been penalized or having their own beliefs and doing things their way. You will never be in this world, in anybody, in any capacity. There will never be a time in this world where you have nobody you have to answer to. It'll never be that way, period. Now, the higher up you get, that's the less people you got to answer to. But there will never be a, a time in this world on God's green earth where there is no one you have to answer to, and I think that's where, as a former player, somebody obviously who was in that in the league, somebody who was in those four walls, in the locker room, things like that, that's one of the ugly realizations that you run into is that no matter how high up the totem pole you get, you're never at a point to where you can just do whatever the hell you want. And I think that for Roger Goodell, the league, for them coming down saying that teams that are forced to have to go ahead and not be able to play a game because they have a certain outbreak, and it's because they didn't have enough vaccinations, then I look at that from that standpoint of, so you want us to go ahead and give you a reprieve because this we're now a year into this thing. We're a year into the pandemic where you've had opportunities to educate yourself. You've had opportunities to go ahead and become more, more acquainted, more oriented on this topic that has ravaged the entire world. And now there's vaccinations in place. And you don't want to do that. But then if there's an outbreak that comes, you want to reprieve from the NFL as far as just rescheduling the game and not getting just a simple L on your record from a forfeit. You can't have it both ways. It's being laid out to you, get a vaccine. There's vaccinations now pretty much on every street corner because that's how 
abundant that they're now becoming in, in most major cities in the United States. So I think that if you don't want to get a vaccine, that is your prerogative. But what the league is saying is that if you have an outbreak, you will now be penalized and you won't be granted a reprieve because of your decisions. And I don't know about you, Dennis, but in my life, what I've learned, especially as a grown man, and you can tell me your experience and you can tell me if I'm, if I'm wrong on this. What I've always learned is that there's always going to be an opportunity cost. There's going to be a consequence for the decisions that you make in life, whether they be a good outcome, a bad outcome. There's always going to be a reaction, aka consequences, aka some sort of a reaction. There's always going to be all of that to whatever decision you make. It's an opportunity cost, consequence, whatever you want to call it. So I think that players have to realize that. I think most players realize that. But you're going to have a few that try to go ahead and want to buck the system or have special treatment. But in the end, we all realize that we're part of a league. And if we want to continue to live this great life that we live, we want to continue to get that exorbitant paycheck that we receive every Tuesday or every two weeks, depending on the team, then because you're receiving that large sum paycheck, there is a certain level of falling in line. There is a certain level of protocol that you have to follow. Otherwise, every Tom, Dick, and Harry in the United States will be playing in the National Football League, and we know that's not the case. It is not the case at all. And Stan, this is according to the NFL Network. Let me give you a little bit of numbers here. They say that more than 78% of the players league-wide now have at least one vaccination. Yes. And 14 clubs have at least 85%. What that means is you can loosen up the COVID protocols. And all 32 teams have at least 50% vaccination rate among players. Now, Stan, I think the league would do everything in their power and not let this happen. I mean, let's go back to last year as an example. The Ravens and the Steelers late in the season, Stan, I think it was rescheduled at least two or three times, and they ended up playing on, like, this random Tuesday night. Uh -huh. And I think, you know, this is where it gets very interesting to me. And back me up on this or just confirm this for me. If a team has to forfeit, then the players don't get paid for that week. And if I think you start hitting players in the pocketbook, then that's where they could have a change of heart. And Stan, let me ask you this as well. Now, do players only get paid during the season or do they get paid in the preseason and the playoffs as well? How exactly does it work? I know you said every two weeks, the first or the 15th, but take us through how exactly it works. Well, pretty much all depends on how, you, how your contract is set up. If you're talking about your actual salary, that comes between week one through 17. It'll now be week one through 18 now that it's going to a 17-game schedule. Now, if you just sign a big contract, like let's say uh, my man Shaq Barrett for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He just signed a big contract right after the Super Bowl. Well-deserved. Had that guy on my podcast recently. Man, had a fun time with him. So you'll receive a signing bonus or you'll receive a roster bonus, which will come somewhere in the offseason, things like that. In the preseason, you will still get a stipend every week, not much at all. Everybody's on the same on the same pay scale when it comes to the uh, preseason, where as long as you are not a rookie or long, I think if you're three years and up or four years and up, something like that, everybody is on the same pay scale. Now, if you're a rookie or you're a young guy, they have their own pay scale as well, but it's just two different scales. 
uh, once you get to the preseason. So it doesn't matter if you're a Tom Brady or you're the last guy on the depth chart uh, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or for any team. Let's say Dak Prescott or the last guy on the Dallas Cowboys. If you are year three and above, you will all make the same salary all throughout preseason. Now, once the regular season comes, that's when everything changes. But typically in the NFL, you do not get paid in the offseason unless it's some sort of a roster bonus, some sort of a signing bonus, some sort of a maybe a workout bonus, something like that. But your salary, that's only going to be doled out between one, weeks one through 18. What about the postseason? How does that work if you're still playing? The postseason, basically, once the Super Bowl has been wrapped up, there's a, it's, like a, it's like a pool of money once you get to the postseason and you don't get paid every week in the postseason or every two weeks once you're done with the playoffs they take all of the all the pool money or the playoff money so to speak and they will divvy that up and they will disperse it to each team and then that team will disperse to each player things like that so basically you won't receive your playoff money probably until i would say uh i would say mid to late february that's when you'll receive the playoff money but you will definitely get it it just won't come that Tuesday right after that uh, right after that postseason game. All right, let's move on and talk some Raiders now. Mentioned training camp begins Tuesday, July the 27th. Stan, let's begin with that defense. It's year one for new defensive coordinator Gus Bradley. And to me, the jury's still out on how much talent he really has to work with. I mean, look, listen to this, Stan. Three seasons since the Gruden era, part two, Stan, the Raiders have posted the NFL's worst scoring defense, Ranking in the bottom three in passing touchdowns, rushing touchdowns allowed over that span, last in sacks, last in third down percentage. Now, I mean, they made a few roster moves in the offseason, um, but I'm looking at this defensive interior line stand. I'm like, Jonathan Hankins, Quinton Jefferson, Darius Still, Solomon Thomas, Kendall Vickers. I mean, Stan, if I'm an offensive coordinator, I don't think I really have to game plan around this group. And there's not one household name in there. <laughs> I can go with you to the point of saying not a household name, but household name does not always equal Super Bowl championship. Let's, no, also, it doesn't. Remember, I agree. let's also remember that. Now, let's go back to who's the defense coordinator for the, Seattle, for the, uh, for the Las Vegas Raiders? Gus Bradley. Gus Bradley, I do remember back when he was with the Seattle Seahawks. Yes. And let me ask you this. When the Seattle Seahawks won the Super Bowl in 2013, when they ran over the Denver Broncos, beat them down like they stole something, 43-8 to eight, up there at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey, who was the household name on that defense? Oh, I think they had some. Uh, Richard Sherman. He was a household name? Oh, I think Richard Sherman was. Don't, Cam Chancellor? No, I, I'm not asking, did they have good players? I'm asking, who was a household name? Okay, put it this way. For those of us who followed football, we can name them. Absolutely. You know, you had Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, Bobby Wagner, just but, right off the top of my but, head. But, but, yes, true. But household name is more of somebody my mom knows of. Sure. And my mom doesn't follow football. Like, but she knows Emmitt Smith, Deion Sanders, right. I got Bo Jackson, Michael Jordan. So, so that's why when you say household name, that's why that's why I got to push back on that because just because somebody's not a household name, Shaq Barrett's not a household name. Damn good player. Very good. He's a playmaker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Up until these playoffs, Devin Booker wasn't exactly a household name. Now anybody that follows basketball knows that he's a dog. Sure, right. He's a full he's a full fledged player. 
I will use before the Super Bowl in which they lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers back in 2008. Larry Fitzgerald wasn't a household name. Didn't make, didn't make him less elite of a receiver. So I think when you talk about household names, a lot of that has to do with marketing, the team you're on. Obviously, you got to be a great player, no doubt about it. But you get what I'm saying. Yes. But we can look at Max, we can look at Max Crosby. 10 sacks as a rookie. We got in, in, in oh my God, I got to learn to pronounce it. In Gakwe. In Gakwe. In Gakwe. He's been a stud for the Jacksonville Jaguars, been a player for the Baltimore Ravens and Minnesota Vikings. Right. I really think he's going to do big things for the black and silver this year. So when you say they don't have household names, I mean, tell me that Ngakwe or Crosby are lesser pass rushers than Bruce Irvin, Seattle Seahawks 2013. My man, Chris Clements, he actually played with me in Oakland back in 2007. I remember, yeah. So, exactly. So when you look at their pass rush, it's, I think it's comparable. I don't see any definitive advantage if you were kind of comparing the two, so to speak. So I think that um, because of that, and Gus Bradley obviously knows defense pretty well. He made things very, very simple for Seattle back then. They ran a lot of cover three, ran a little bit of quarters. I don't think they ran any cover two, maybe a little bit of man, but it was pretty basic. And I think that to me is where you really can have success for that black and silver, especially in the back end, is simplifying the defense where everybody knows exactly what they're doing. And yeah, we don't got to go in, fool you, trick you, confuse you, this, any other, but we're going to execute. Even me, when I coach high school ball now, that is the one main component that I want to preach to the kids is that we have to execute. Yeah, we can go ahead and get cute. We can kind of confuse the quarterback, disguise things, but we have to execute. And if we don't do that, it don't matter about disguising, having these exotic types of blitzes, this, that, and the other. We got we to gotta freaking execute. So I think that I think they'll be just fine because Seattle back then, they were contingent upon the Legion of Boom, their defense. Obviously, we know that. This Las Vegas Raiders team, by my recollection, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, they still have Waller tight end, right? Oh, yeah. They still have Jacobs at running back, correct? They do. They got Henry Ruggs at receiver, correct? Yes, we'll talk about <laughs> Yes, you yes. See, well, I don't think, yeah, I mean, so, they so have this, some talent on the offensive side. Yeah. Well, my thing is just I, I don't think they have enough playmakers on defense. I mean, and I know had a safety, Trayvon Merrick. Yes, uh, they TCU. Him. He'll probably be a starter from day one. I know they brought in Casey Hayward Jr. Uh -huh. uh, possibly supplant uh, Damon Arnett. And you know what? I, I want to stop right there. Damon Arnett, what were your impressions of him as rookie season? Because I've read and you've heard that he might be on the outs already. I mean, this was a number one draft choice in the first round. What a difference in rookie wage scale and what that can do. Because now in this rookie wage scale, it's not as big of a financial commitment that a team makes to you in the first round. So they're a little bit more willing to take a chance on a guy, something like that. And that's pretty much kind of what can happen is you can fall out of love with the organization or things like that early on, and they could be looking to go ahead and move you. I think personally, like I've always said before, when you look at Ohio State, they have a bevy of talent that they always have coming in every year. So for them, much like the University of Texas back when I was in college, there's only about two games a year that Ohio State really needs to get up for. They can run through Indiana. They can run through Rutgers, Nebraska, 
uh, the, uh, Penn State, Michigan State, Michigan. They can run through pretty much every team in their in the conference by simply just waking up and putting their shoes on correctly. Once they get to the college football playoff, the bowl games, things like that, that's what they got to get up for. So my point that I'm trying to make is it's very difficult to really, really evaluate those types of teams because they just simply have more talent than the other team that they're playing against. So it's really, really hard to evaluate uh, Damon Arnett when he's going against a receiver from Penn State who's not going to be playing on Sundays or a receiver from Indiana who's probably not even getting invited to the combine. It's really hard to go ahead and evaluate that guy. So what happens is he may very well be more of like a second rounder, a third rounder, a fourth rounder, whatever. And so he comes in. He underwhelms. Now the fans are like, oh, my God, we draft this guy in the first round. How come he isn't a player already? Well, maybe he was a little bit overdrafted. Maybe he's playing a little bit out of position. Maybe he's playing a different scheme than he did back in college where he was successful, things like that. There's so many different factors. But I think that ultimately, when you look at Ohio State and the way that they construct their secondary, it's a little bit different than when you get to the league. And so I think also because of the lack of talent within the Big Ten, within their receiving, within the passing game, within the Big Ten, it's a little bit of a shock when you finally get to the NFL because it's a huge uptick in talent that you're probably not used to playing in the Big Ten that's built more on running the ball. It's more about the guys in the trenches. It is a conference that's built more on nasty, ugly football, run the game, pound pound the rock, things like that. So I think that uh, it's probably too early to go ahead and just completely pull the plug on him, but I definitely see Casey Hayward probably being a starter in the black and silver simply because I've enjoyed watching him for years from Green Bay all the way to uh, San Diego and now Los Angeles Chargers. I think uh, he's a pretty good player, but also I think that Gus Bradley is going to gravitate to him because also this, he's a veteran. We know he's smart. We know he has an eye for the ball. He has a knack for the ball. And did Seattle not have a corner like that that had a knack for the ball? in the Legion of Boom by the name of Richard Sherman. So I think that when you look at everything from that standpoint, uh, it just also goes to this now rookie wage scale. Teams do not have the commitment to you that they once did because, once again, like I said, it's not as big of a financial, it's not as big of a financial commitment that they have to make. So emotionally and mentally, they don't feel tied to you like they once did. By the way, Richard Sherman's still a free agent, and I was a very much big advocate on the Raiders bringing him in. All right, Stan, let's move over to the offense now and take a look at the offensive line. I mean, this was an offensive line that had allowed just 57 sacks since 2019. That's the sixth fewest. But Gruden and GM Mike Mayock decided to blow it up. Trent Brown, Gabe Jackson, Rodney Hudson all traded this offseason. And that means they're putting a lot of faith in new center Andre James, who's played two games in two years with one start. And then you've got 38-year-old left guard Richie Incognito and first-round pick Alex Leatherwood. And here we go back to the draft again. A lot of people think the Raiders reached for him at number 17. Stan, the two holdovers are Colton Miller at left tackle, I think is very strong, and Denzel Good, who I know the Raiders coaching staff would actually like to see John Simpson beat him out at right guard. And... Look, Stan, if this line can't hold up, we know Derek Carr is not the most mobile of quarterbacks. <laughs> and no, we saw not. what happened in the Super Bowl last year. Kansas City's offensive line was beat up, missing pieces. They have the best quarterback in the NFL and Patrick Mahomes. He was pretty much rendered useless. So, I mean, what do you think of these changes the Raiders have made up front? I think that in life, opportunity is the key to success. 
if you ever want to prove yourself, if you ever want to actually go ahead and make something of yourself, the first thing that you need beyond preparation is what? An opportunity. And just look at who you just named, Patrick Mahomes. In the Super Bowl, obviously, he struggled. Pat Mahomes only started one game his rookie year, 2017, when he was a first-round draft pick. And then guess what? They trade away Alex Smith. He now has the opportunity to be the starter, and look what he did. He went, took the bull by the horns, and made the most of his opportunity, and now already is, if not the best, the second-best quarterback in the NFL, and will obviously go down as one of the best of all time, if not the best uh, per se. So I think that I do not have as big of an issue with the revamping, or should I say just the facelift within the offensive line that everybody else has. Leatherwood coming out of Alabama, at least we know this. He's, he's been in big games. He can handle those big moments, and he was coached by Nick Saban. Now, that doesn't mean that he's going to turn out to be Larry Brown. It doesn't mean he's going to turn out to be Jonathan Ogden. But you know what? At least we know he's used to big moments. At least we know that. And he's used to SEC talent, SEC style of play, things like that. And going back, being reunited with a former teammate in Josh Jacobs, I think that's going to help him as well. I think that when you look at everything in its totality with the Las Vegas Raiders, the Las Vegas Raiders have not been to the playoffs since, I believe, 2016. They went 12-4. Right. and four. That's right. when Der uh, Derek Carr uh, broke his leg against the Indianapolis Colts right around Christmas, and yep. then that's when everything just kind of went downhill. So just off of that alone, everything on the roster is up for debate on whether we want to upgrade whether we want to do a facelift whether we want to do a rebuild things like that and that's simply the nature of the beast whenever you're not winning and when i say winning i mean going to the playoffs and having a deep run in the playoffs whenever you're not doing that everything is subject to review and i think that for the las vegas raiders for them to go and trade away pro bowl left tackle trent brown it wasn't simply oh yeah you know what let's go ahead and rebuild let's go ahead and try to tank so we can lose every game and then get a top 10 draft pick so we can go ahead and try to build our team back up that wasn't why they did it i'm not completely sure why they did it but well, i know it wasn't so they can tank you know so, Mayock, sorry stan i mean mayock said they wanted to get younger up front and they wanted to yes. save some money what they save like 30, i think they saved 34 million total uh, yes. trading those three away so um so and then obviously because once again i think for mike mayock he knows that coming down the pike He's going to be having to pay certain other players, and he's going to want to make sure that he has the draft. Him, he's going to want to make sure that he has the capital to do that. So I think that because of the minimal drop off in their mind of what it's going to be from the Gabe Jackson to who's now going to be starting at right guard. Obviously, you go ahead, you lose Rodney Hudson to the Arizona Cardinals. They don't see it being much of a drop-off from what those guys were putting out there on the field. Now, are they going to be right? Are they going to be wrong? We'll be seeing in about two months. <laughs> but, in, but in their mind, it's worth the cheapness of what it's going to cost to go ahead and employ these guys out there versus the Gabe Jacksons, the Trent Browns, the Rodney Hudsons. So it's it's so it, it it's got a lot of uh it's got a lot of cost efficacy to it, and we'll just have to wait and see. All right, let's get to the final storyline for this one. And Stan, I think they got to find a go-to wide receiver. I mean, we all know Darren Waller 
is the second best tight end in football. And now I think the team needs to find a number one wide receiver since Nelson Aguilar departed for the New England Patriots via free agency. They did sign John Brown in the offseason to replace him. But Stan, this is interesting. You mentioned 2016 earlier with Derek Carr. That's the last time the Raiders had thousand yard receivers, and it was Amari Cooper, yeah, Amari Cooper. and Michael Crabtree. They both did it. You know, is Henry Ruggs going to step up here in year two? He was a 12th overall pick. He had less than 500 yards receiving and just a couple of touchdowns. You know, we know Hunter Renfro, he's a proven commodity, especially on third down. Staff was high on uh, rookie Brian Edwards last year. He gets hurt. Didn't get much out of him. You know, one scenario that I would like to see more of Stan is I want to see Darren Waller at wide receiver, and I want to see Foster Moreau at tight end. He had a good rookie season. For some reason, he was behind Jason Witten last year in their rotation. But, you know, Stan, if you, you know, if you're still playing and you're on defense and you look at this group, is anyone really scaring you besides Waller? Oh, wow. I would probably go, uh, obviously, Waller's going to scare you because he's big, sure. strong, physical, and one of the best tight ends in the league. But even a Henry Ruggs, like, a lot of people think that, oh, well, he only had such and such receiving yards. He's obviously not that good. True, but he still has the ability to be able to go ahead and be a game breaker. He can catch a slant, take it 80 yards. We saw him do that in Alabama. We saw the big uh, touchdown that he scored against the New York Jets. It saved them uh, from losing that game to that abysmal team. So, and, uh, and then I believe also big plays against Kansas City at Arrowhead last yes. year. So he has the ability. He's just got to go ahead and find a way to put it all together. So when you say somebody who would scare me, that's a very, that's a very arbitrary question, Dennis, because what may scare me may not scare him. And what may not scare him may scare me. So vice versa. So I think that what a guy like a Henry Ruggs, he can always strike a little bit of fear into a DB because of his speed. That's number one. Waller is the complete package as a tight end. Like I said, if you want to argue whether Kittle and Kelsey are better than him, go right ahead. In my opinion, he's arguably the best, whatever. So I think that uh, when you look at it from that aspect, anybody can go ahead and make some plays out there on this football field. That's why they're actually in the NFL. If Henry Ruggs is able to learn, if he's able to get better at running all of the routes on the route tree, not name the go route that's going to make his deep ball that much more effective because as a db i have to play him honest i can't just sit on the deep ball and let him run the hitch the comeback things like that daring him to run those because i know the quarterback's not going to throw it anyways and that's not really something that he's good at so he can't get open if he gets better at his intermediate routes he is going to be so much more effective when you go to the deep ball because like i said once again you have to play him honest but I think that within this Las Vegas Raiders team built on the run game, Josh Jacobs, he's a, he's a bruiser. We all know that. Darren Waller, you can put him anywhere on the field. He's going to go ahead. He's going to be successful. And I think that you can get away with being successful in the NFL with having your tight end as your number one option. The San Francisco 49ers. The Kansas City Chiefs, obviously, Tariq Hill is great. We all know that. But in a lot of ways, you could say that Travis Kelsey is the – straw that stirs the drink on absolutely. that offense absolutely so i think that uh so i mean and we see the new england patriots have been doing it for how long <laughs> so i think that you can be successful having your top-notch elite blue chip tight end be your number one threat i want to go back to henry ruggs and i think you mentioned that he's got potential so let's see that potential now let's take it to the next level and let's see the productivity and, and stan to me 
And I mentioned Amari Cooper earlier. One thing I thought was very uh, that offensive coordinator Bill Musgrave did in 2016, he made sure he got Amari Cooper involved in the offense early, whether it was a yes. wide receiver screen or, mm -hmm. or a jet sweep. And I think Gruden needs to do a better job of Absolutely. getting rugs in open space and involved early in the offense. And I've been preaching on that and I've been harping on that all last season. Absolutely. I think that is paramount. And I say that because I remember several times either playing against someone or watching certain games and receivers, obviously they're not going to like me saying this, but receivers all have a little bit of DB in them. Even oh, like you a, think a little, a little, uh, but no, trust me, I, there's, there's a good amount of receivers that will definitely push back on that. Dennis, trust me on that. And all I'm basically saying is, is that as great as receivers are, they still need the quarterback. They still need the offense coordinator to go ahead and either a call the play, the quarterback to B throw them the ball, the offensive line to block. So the quarterback has time to throw them the ball, things like that. So the best thing you can do is get a receiver out of the offense or out of the game plan early. Because if he does not get touches in the first half, the first quarter, things like that, he's not able to get going. And then you look over there after, let's say, halftime, third quarter, he only has one catch for eight yards. And by that time, mentally, there's a part of him that's already left the game because he's saying, okay, they're double teaming me. They're rolling the safety over the top. They're not really allowing me to go ahead and get open. The, the offensive coordinator is now calling plays opposite of me because they're taking me away, things like that. So mentally, they've already left the game. So then it actually gets easier in the second half, not because you're just shutting him down. It's just because mentally he's already thinking about next week. Like, okay, you know what? This game right here is a dud. I'm not getting any touches. I'm not getting, I'm not getting any plays. They're double teaming me, whatever. So then they just mentally are already going on to the next week. So I think that as a DB, you know that. But the way to combat that is just like what you just said. I got to give him some reverses. I got to give him a jet sweep. I got to go ahead, throw him a screen, something to get him going early. That way he can now be involved in the game because you have a receiver get one, maybe two touches in the entire first half who's a baller. Who's, he's like the team's number one threat. He will quickly go ahead and exit the game mentally just because he sees, okay, you know what, today's not my day, things like that. And I'm talking about I can name top guys that I played with against guys that I may have just been watching a game on TV or just the film getting ready to uh, play him this coming week where you can visibly see mentally he's already checked out. And it's not because he's not talented. It ain't because he's not a great player. It's not because the other DB on the other side is just blanketing him like Deion Sanders. It's not that. It's just that the game flow just was not going in his direction. So mentally he's kind of already checked out. But to your point, yes, I think for Henry Ruggs, you've got to get him going early. you got to get him some screens. you got to go ahead and give him a jet sweep or reverse. As you see, that's what Kansas City does with Tariq Hill. Yep. They will do a jet sweep. They'll do a reverse. They do something to get him going early. That way, okay, you know what? Now the juices are flowing. That blood's starting to go ahead and boil for him. And then now as a defense, we're now back on our heels. Like, oh, okay, he just made a 20-yard uh, big play. Okay, Okay, let's go ahead and try to make sure that we can go ahead and slow him down. So now we're back on our heels. But if it's a game where he's not a part of the game plan, he's not getting touches, things like that as a defense, we're almost kind of, oh, we don't even really got to worry about him because the, the offensive coordinator is not even calling plays for him. So we can kind of subconsciously forget about him to a certain degree or simply not 
put as much emphasis on him as we were going into the game. All right, final topic of the podcast, and I'm going to a little more trivia for you. Okay. Uh, Pro Football Focus came out with their top 50 players for 2021. How many Raiders do you think are in the top 50, Stan? I would probably say Darren Waller, definitely. Huh. And I think that probably Josh Jacobs, Pro Bowler, could possibly be on there. Maybe Derek Carr, but I don't think in the top 50. I would probably say definitely Darren Waller, definitely. Maybe a Josh Jacobs. And I don't think there's anybody else definitively that's going to be on that list. Okay, somehow Waller didn't make it, so there's zero Raiders. I, I mean, the wow. fact I know the fact that he's not on there is ridiculous, but let me give you the top 10. Ready? Mm-hmm. Aaron Donald, number one. I, I don't think you can really argue that. Yeah, you can't. Patrick Mahomes is two. Travis Kills, who you just talked about earlier, is three. Quentin Nelson, offensive lineman for the Colts, is four. Devontae Adams, wide receiver for the Packers, is five. Khalil Mack, number six. <laughs> Tom Brady is seven. Bobby Wagner, who we also talked about earlier, he's number eight. Now, this one, yeah, this is where it's like, come on, really? George Kittles, tied in for the Niners, is nine? No way. There's no way. Darren Waller's better than him. I don't even think Kittle should be top 50. And then Aaron Rodgers is number 10. Derrick Henry's 12th. Jalen Ramsey's 16th. Tyreek Hill is 18th. Uh, Joey Bosa from the Chargers, 21. Russell Wilson is 22. Let's see some other big names on here. Where are we going? Where are we going? Uh, Julio Jones is actually 35th with the Titans now. Josh Allen's number 40, quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. Number 50 is a little surprising as well, considering he didn't play much last year, and that's the Cowboys' Dak Prescott. <laughs> um, Julio Jones is, is still on that list, ranked pretty high, for the same reason George Kittle is. Is that, yeah, injuries kind of took them away last year, but you know when they're healthy, you know that there's somebody you got to deal with. So for what you said about George Kittle, I don't think that that's too high for him. I just think that because of where he's ranked, Darren Waller's got to be somewhere at least within about six to seven spots of that because obviously Waller did it this past season. Also did it a little bit the year before, but this past season where he really came on and obviously George Kittle's been doing it for a couple more years. Travis Kelsey's been doing it for several years. I can see why they're rated above Waller just off of, and I use this term loosely because George Kittle's only been in the league a couple of years. That's uh, So I could see them being above Waller due to longevity of their success. Now, I would not say that Kittle's ranked too high because I, I, I think George Kittle is a dog out there on that football field, number one. I think that uh, if you're going to have Jalen Ramsey at 16, where's my man Stephon Gilmore? Or X-Man, Xavier Howard, I would ask that question. And then also, if you have, where's, where's Devontae Adams at? Five. Then you got to have Stefan Diggs, who led the league in receiving yards. You got to have, you got 45th. Stefan's 45th. You see what I'm saying? So think about that. How does the guy that led the league in receiving yards, 45th, and the guy who led the league in, I believe, touchdowns last year, Devontae Adams, I believe he had 18. He's, what is he, number four or five? Five. Exactly. Like, so now, mind you, what's the publication that, that uh, produced this list? Pro Football Focus. Exactly. So once again, and Trust me, I've had many qualms with how they go about doing their, their stuff, and there's no way that they evaluate players without a level of discretion 
and favoritism in the way they evaluate players. There's no way that they can convince me otherwise. So even then, it still comes down to a level of team you play for, marketing, things like that, because who is a more historic, who is a more regal franchise, the Buffalo Bills or the Green Bay Packers? Who is? Green Bay Packers. Exactly. So Devontae Adams benefits also from that. Sure. Even though, like I said, Stephon Diggs led the league in receiving yards. Right. Now, let me ask you this. Where is Justin Jefferson on that list? He does not appear on this list. How the hell does that happen? No, he had a great went to, the pro, went to the Pro Bowl as a rookie. Yeah, no, How the hell does that not happen? So, <laughs> so once again, like I said, so whenever you get to those lists, there is a little bit of favoritism or I'm putting this guy in this spot because I simply like that guy. Not because he's definitively better than someone that I got ranked lower. I just like that guy. And then even for a Dak Prescott, where's Dak ranked? He's, you said 50. he's 40? He's 50. He's 50? Yeah. Okay. How many quarterbacks are ranked ahead of Dak? Well, we got, uh, like I said, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and then we've got Josh Allen. We've got four. How the hell does MVP 2019 season Lamar Jackson not ranked higher than Dak Prescott? I don't know. Actually, we got <laughs> five. Russell Wilson. I forgot Russell Wilson at yeah. 22. So, yeah. So, like, how the hell does that happen? I don't know. You know, so... So that's why, like I said, once again, there still is a level of favoritism. There's still a level of, oh, you know, I just simply like that guy. I just, there's something I like about him. Or I like the team he plays for. Got a star on your helmet, America's team, right. things like that. So, yeah, so whenever you look at those lists, obviously there's nobody on the list that doesn't deserve to be on the list. I want to first say that. But when you look at who isn't on it or how they're configured, how it's constructed, how it's ordered, things like that, you always know that there's a level of favoritism. There's a level of just preferential treatment that's, uh, that's placed on how high or how low someone is ranked versus someone else. Yeah, interesting criteria, whatever it is that they used. Stan, great stuff as always, my man. Always, man. Love being on with you, Dennis. Me too. Can't All wait right, for Raider season. fans, that's going to do it for another edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast presented by betonline.ag. For my partner, Stanford Route, I'm Dennis Ackerman. Thanks so much for listening. May all your punts find the coffin corner. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.